we are in a new book today. It's called the Book of Acts. And uh, it's part of our diet to be in an Old Testament book, to be in a New Testament book, to look at thematic series or topical series. And uh, after we did the Book of Ruth, four parts for the past four weeks, we decided that it's time for us to get into the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is really long, consists of 28 chapters, and that's why we'll probably cover the book of Acts in a few seasons, right? So we know exactly what we want to do, at least between now and Christmas. And you'll also see that this sermon is titled Season 1, Episode 1, and our theme for today is Spirit-Empowered Witness. Now, let's just talk about the book of Acts. I'm leaving the slide on for you. And let's chat about what this is. What is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the history of the church. It's the story of original Christianity. You can ask me how old Fellowship City is, and then I can tell you, well, we are roughly seven months old. But I should actually also answer you with, we are approximately 2,000 years old because the church came into existence then, and it's been one really, really, really long story, one long and winding road, and there's been so much progress made. Even if you look at the slide now, you'll see that we are playing with topography of a map. We're playing with a route. We're playing with ups and downs. Acts as a map for us about the process and the progress of Christianity up until this point. So if I want to be clear or just state it plainly, this is our story. Okay, so the book of Acts is not only a story, it is our story. The people who we read about in the book of Acts is our brothers and sisters, all part of the same family. They just lived many, many, many years ago. Now, why do we need to study this book? Why should you listen to me this morning? Why should we care about the book of Acts? Uh, the simplest answer I can give you is because then you'll get it. Then you'll understand what Christianity is about. You'll understand what a life of faith is about. And you will be able to live a life that is worthy of something, a life of impact, a life that leaves a legacy. All of us want to do it, right? All of us, either in the morning, in the evening, or somewhere in between, get this feeling that life should be more than the mundane dailies and executing everything on your to-do list. We should be living lives that are worthy of something, make some impact, leave some legacy, and show some love. If you read the book of Acts and we study it together, you'll get it, you'll understand it, and you'll be able to be part of this story. Let me bring in a, a, a well-known church historian. His name was Michael Green. He passed away, I think, in 2019. Here's what he says about the book of Acts and the importance of us studying this book. Three crucial decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion adherents. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the spirit came. I think that's a 
proper case to be made for why we should study Acts and really get stuck into the story. Okay, how should we study this book? This is all still part of the intro of our series. Uh, we should not study the book as a scholar uh, looking for facts, wanting to dissect, wanting to map, and then wanting to put it on a shelf. Okay, I know actually as I'm flashing through the screen, some of you might deem yourselves to be scholars. I'm not saying that that's the only thing that scholars do. I'm just saying we're not going to read the book in that way, only looking for the facts as if they are not making any impact on our lives and as if it is just head knowledge, something that we have to get a grip on. We are also not going to study this book as admirers. I mean, sometimes you can admire something and you can love it and you can really be bought into it, but it doesn't really change your life. You know, let's take sports as an example. Uh, really like rugby, really like the Blue Bulls, really like Loftus Fairfield. I've been there, I've been on a stadium tour, but it doesn't impact my daily life, even though I do admire them, right? We're not going to read the book of Acts in that way. We are going to read the book of Acts as players, right? Because we are continuing this story, the story is a story that is still continuing to this day, and we should apply the things we learn. It is still game on in the story of the church. Let me share an image with you. I think we should think of the book of Acts as a game plan. That's uh, if you are a sports enthusiast, something that you should know. There's a plan with which you should play. So we'll see the coach and we see the players playing basketball. Um, there's positions in the team, there's structure, there's formation, there's things that you do when you're on the offense, there's things that you do when you are on the defense, you should be organized, you should know your position. And, you know, uh, after a sports game, people often say, it's time for us to go back to the drawing board. The drawing board is the place where the game plan gets mapped out and it gets showed to the players to know what they should do when they take the field, I think. We should read the book of Acts as a game plan. Now, I know not everyone is sports enthusiasts, so let me give you a little bit of art. I also think that we can read the book of Acts like sheet music, right? So look at it. There's keys and there's bars and there's timing indications and there's notes and there's chords and there's lyrics. It's all on that one page, right? <clears throat> that is sheet music. But that isn't music. It's just the sheet to how to play the music. So what you ought to do with sheet music is read it and understand it and then play it. And I think the book of Acts is meant to be played, right? It's something that we read, something that we do, and something that we love. So I said why Michael Green said it's an important book to read. Let me uh, just get into the, bo the boots of Luke, who actually wrote the book. If you read the book, and we get to chapter 28, you'll see that the book ends quite abruptly. So it's a strange ending to a book. Here it is. Acts 28, verses 30 to 31. He lived there two whole years. This is Luke speaking about Paul. Paul is currently in house arrest in Rome. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And you'll see this morning, that's where the story starts. So Luke says the story starts with a proclamation of God's kingdom and teaching about Lord Jesus and having boldness and doing it without hindrance through the spirit. And then he ends the book in exactly the same way, saying, well, so that has happened. Now, go for it. 
Acts 29 is yours. Acts 30 is yours. Acts 31 is yours. All the way through to Revelation 22 is yours, right? This is now your story. Eventually, we'll end up, right, in God's full presence with him in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. But for now, we are continuing the story of Acts. So uh, a couple of things that are important as we, uh, as we study the book of Acts. We should study it knowing its context in the Bible. So as we go through this series, we will be referring back to the Old Testament. We'll be referring back to the New Testament. We'll definitely be referring to many New Testament epistles uh, that was written in this time of Acts. I think it's important to uh, study this with Luke because Luke and Acts is a one volume written by the same person. I'll get back to that a little bit later. And then I also think what's important for us is just to remember that this is a specific genre, right? This is a historical writing. It's Luke who's giving us a report. And what Luke reports on is descriptive, right? Luke describes what he saw, what he experienced, uh, and what happened. So it's a descriptive book. It's not a prescriptive book. It's not something that we are going to read and then imitate everything in this book letter by letter. It is a game plan according to which we are going to play. So let me give you the map for today before I do a prayer for us. This is the map. So it's three points. The first one is Luke's message continues. Second point. Jesus' ministry continues. Third point, the church's mission continues. Okay? So there we go. That's our map for today. As we study Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, we'll see these three things continue. Luke's message, Jesus' ministry, and the church's mission. There's also some sub-points on the last point, and uh, that's where I want to spend most of our time, and that is we will be looking at the people who witness the path of a witness, the power of a witness, the people in need of a witness, and then the passion of a witness. So if you are a photo taker or a note taker, here's our map for today. This is where we will be. Let me do a prayer for us, and then we'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can once again read your word, teach your word, listen to your word, expound your word, eat your word, and have it changed us from the inside. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. Thank you that we can be excited about this book and not study it like cold and hard facts or only study it as something that ought to make us feel good, but that we can study it as a game plan for our lives, as something that is meant to be played. We are excited about what you have in store for us. We pray that you would speak to us through your spirit. We pray that you would help us to uh, not focus on any hindrances at this moment, even the things that passed for the, couple, uh, the last six days and the things waiting for us in the next six days. May we be fully present. May we hear you speak through your word. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's get to the first one. Luke's message continues. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus. Okay, hang on. What's the first book? The first book is the Gospel of Luke. And the primary preface for both of these books, Luke and Acts, are found here in the scriptures that you just see on your screen. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, the bolds and the underlines is my own edits, okay? So Luke is an investigative journalist, right? He's a reporter. He's a writer of history. He's more than that. I'm going to get back to that now. But this was the purpose of writing this colossal volume. Who's Theophilus? He's a Roman official, and he is an, in a significant position. We see that those words, most excellent, also used to describe other Roman officials later in the book of Acts. We're not sure if he was a believer. We're not sure if he was a seeker. Some scholars, and I do agree with them, believe that he had a lot of money and that he funded this research project of Luke. So he heard about Jesus Christ and Luke said, dude, I want to write you an orderly account of this so that you can understand it. And then Theophilus gave him the money or the capital to go on this research project. I mean, think about it. You can research a country like China today by just doing it on Google. You don't have to go to China yourself. Whereas back in the day with Luke, he actually had to put some shoe leather on it. Well, actually wear his pluckies, wear his flip-flops, wear his leather sandals, and he had to go and visit places and he had to go see people and he had to conduct interviews. Who is Luke? Luke was a doctor, not like an academic doctor, but a medical doctor. He was a physician. We read about uh, that in Colossians chapter 4. Luke was a companion to Paul. Let me just uh, remove my slides here for a second. Luke was a companion to Paul. We'll read that as the book of Acts continues. Luke was a brilliant writer. I've already said that he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which is the largest volume put together in the New Testament. Right? So Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul. But I just said that Luke was a companion to Paul, right? So I put Luke and Paul together, and they pretty much own the bulk of the New Testament when it comes to writing. Now, what's important to see here is that Luke isn't writing fiction. He isn't writing a multiple series trilogy of novels. He's writing a factual account. It's not speculation. It's not stories that was heard. You saw in the preface of the Gospel of Luke and now in Acts. I know these things to be facts and I'm ordering them for you. It is compelling evidence that all of this happened. That's really, really important. Just a side note about Luke, what I really enjoy is if you read the book of Acts, you'll never see Luke brag about himself. He is mentioned later as he travels with Paul, but he never says, on that day, I really nailed that prayer. Or on that day in the marketplace, I also got to share the gospel with people. Or on that day after Paul was beaten for, uh, you know, um, after Paul was beaten by having so many strikes of, of whatever rod or whatever punishment he endured, I bound his wounds for him and I took care of him. He never says anything about himself. He also states uh, that his work is not finished, right? But he began something and is finishing it now in this second um, uh, volume. And then what's important to know about Luke is Luke is also 
a, a peacemaker, right? He's a bridge builder. Because think about it now. He's got the most excellent Theophilus on his side. But Theophilus is a Roman official. News in the Roman officials' space or in the Roman government is that the Christians are threatening the kingdom because they are confessing that someone else is Lord, that someone else is God, and that someone else is king. We should nip this in the bud. We should stop this. And now Luke is writing this account to also show to the Roman government and officials that these people are bad people and that these people aren't undermining the government that they have. These people are confessing faith and it's changing their lives. They're inviting people into this family and it's filled with love and service and reconciliation and salvation. Right, So that's also one of the reasons that Luke writes all of this, is to show that the Christians aren't as bad as the government think they are. They're actually really, really awesome people who live lives of love. Last remark that I want to make about Luke and Acts is you'll see in Acts, as this message continues, right? So Luke's message stays the same. It's the message, it's the message of the gospel. And you'll see as um, his message continues, uh, in 28 chapters, speaking is really important. There's 32 speeches or sermons of people in the book of Acts, right? So the bulk of the book of Acts is people speaking. And what are they doing? They are speaking the gospel. They are heralding the gospel. They are telling people about the good news. So that's the first point. Luke's message continues. Second point, Jesus's ministry continues. Really important, because the gospel was all about Jesus, we shouldn't make the mistake to think that Jesus is now disappearing from the pages of the Bible just because we're reading Acts, and it says the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at verses 1 to 11, maybe just page back to that really quickly, you'll see that Jesus is mentioned in every single verse in the first 11 verses of Acts. It's either what he did or what he said. But this whole book is built on the words and the deeds of Jesus. I actually think that it is possible to offer a title for this book like The Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ Through the Apostles by the Holy Spirit. But that would have been a really long title. And that's why it's just named The Acts of the Apostles. It's important for us to see that words and deeds go together, both of Jesus, and we have to accept them both. You can't love the deeds of Jesus, but not love his words. You can't love the words of Jesus, but not love his deeds. They go together because his ministry is being done through word and deed. And through us, his ministry continues through word and deed. Let me throw up well, so sorry, not throw up. Let me show you my word. <laughs> Let me show you the first few verses of Acts again. See, now that's when you translate Afrikaans directly to English and it comes out really badly, right? Because I wanted to say, I wanted to throw it up. That didn't work. Okay, so look at this. Look at words and deeds, right? Let's start at chapter two. He was taken up. That's a deed. After he had given commands, words, whom he had chosen, deeds. He presented himself, deeds. After his suffering, deeds. Appearing to them, deeds. Speaking about the kingdom of God, words. And while staying with him, he ordered words. Do you guys see this? 
Like the whole book of Acts is built on the words and deeds of Jesus. Because through the words and deeds of Jesus, his ministry came to the world. And Luke is now um, summing up the whole book of Luke or the gospel according to Luke by mentioning these things again. Now, I said that Luke was Paul's companion. Look at Paul himself in Romans 15, verses 18 to 19. For I will not venture to speak words of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me deeds to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Can you guys see that these guys were travel companions? By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, we'll get back to that later, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So his deeds is important because the apostles and the believers should follow suit. We should say what he said. We should do what he did. Okay. Now, interesting, just in this first few uh, verses, I just want to highlight a couple of things so that we can uh, uh, circle back to them when we find them later in the book of Acts. You'll see that he presented himself alive. Make a note. That's something that the apostles are going to do through the whole book. He lives. We have 10 accounts where Jesus presented himself alive. Paul says that Jesus showed himself to 500 people and he did human things while being with them. He taught them. He ate food with them. It's an important deed of Jesus to present himself alive. And it's important for the church to do the same through the, uh, the ministry and the work of the church as this ministry is being continued. His ascension is a really important part of these first 11 verses. I actually could have only preached about the ascension and I could fill a whole sermon, but I couldn't do it because this is the intro to the book. But what's important is at the ascension of Jesus, he is exalted. Okay? He is glorified. We see that he moves interdimensionally. Right, came from somewhere, lived among us, going back somewhere. We actually don't have categories for what is happening here. And then it says at the end of these 11 verses, he is coming back in the same way. Okay, so an important deed of his, something that we should continue to do, glorify him, exalt him, uh, understand and communicate him as something and someone that is more than our comprehension, that can move interdimensionally, and that will come back in glory. Why? Because this shows that that is the one who is looking over and after the church. My heart was really warmed when Sanaba prayed in the beginning of the service about everything God has done for us as a church up until this point. Because this is who he is, the exalted, glorified one that is alive. We're not praying to a dead God. We're not praying to a God that doesn't understand us. We're not praying to a God that's foreign to our world we live in. We are praying to a God that is glorified and that is exalted and that will come back in that same glory. This is what we are proclaiming as a church. This is who we are imitating through our deeds. The shortest way for me to say this is we are either telling people that Jesus loves them or showing them that Jesus loves them because that's what Jesus did. 
That's what the gospel account is all about. So hear this this morning. If you have not heard the gospel, that's the gospel. Jesus loves you. And he made a way for you to be in a relationship with him, to be reconciled to the Father, to be transformed from the inside and to live with him eternally. That's what the whole first book was about, O Most Excellent Theophilus. And the story is being continued to this day. Just read the second book and see how it happens. It happens through this proclamation. The kingdom advances through these acts. Okay? And uh, book of Acts, the, the book of Acts in certain parts describe this. It starts in Judea, then it moves across geographical borders, then it moves across a whole bunch of other borders, which we'll get back to a little bit later. Jesus is building his church, and that's what the book of Acts wants to tell us and wants to show us. The ministry of Jesus continues. That was the second point. The third point, the church's mission continues. Now, there's an interesting question that Jesus' disciples are asking him at this point. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel in verse 6? Now, I should actually pause quite long at this question because there's a reason why they asked it. We don't have time for it today, but let me at least say this. The problem with the disciples and their flawed question is that they are thinking too small. They wanted something different. They wanted peace and prosperity in the country where they live, free from oppression of Roman rule, free from experiencing all of the hardships that they were experiencing so that they can carry on with daily life. And that is what they're asking him at this time. Is this now going to happen? Because we really want to go home and we want to go fish and we want to be with our family and we don't want to pay all these taxes anymore and we don't want to be harassed by Roman soldiers anymore. They're thinking too small. And then Jesus answers them with a double whammy. He says, uh, this is not your business, and this is your business. Okay, And that's what these three verses are all about. Don't be distracted from the gospel and from your mission by speculating when what will happen. Here's what I want you to focus on, and that is to be spirit-empowered witnesses of me, of the king, people who proclaim the truth people who share the facts of the first volume and tell people about it. The church's mission continues. Now, let's look at a couple of things. Well, five things to be exact. The first four will only come from these verses, and then the last one will come from verses 9 to 11. Here's what I want us to see in the beginning of the book of Acts as we progress through it. The first thing is the people who witness is every single believer. There we go. You, you all, if you've watched enough American television or you've listened to enough Americans speak, uh, you can read, but y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is a fact. Every single person, every believer is a witness. Now, that might stress you out. That might make you anxious. You might want to react immediately from a space of understanding gifts or public speaking or arguments or being eloquent with speech. Hang on a second here, okay? I'm giving you the facts. I don't want to... Um, uh, um, 
um, convince you that you should be a witness. I want to tell you that the Bible says that you are every single believer. Second thing that I want us to note in this portion of scripture is the path of a witness. The path of a witness will entail suffering because Jesus doesn't say to them, look guys, I know that you are done with enduring hardships. I know that you are done with being mistreated. I know that you are done with paying taxes that you don't want to pay. I know that you are done with the hard things of life. I'm going to stop all of that now and I'll make it easy going forward. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in this time and in this space. So the path of a witness would always entail suffering. It will entail sacrifice from a small inconvenience all the way through to death. That's what we'll see in the book of Acts, is sometimes being a witness cost people their lives. Here's the good news, though. The power of a witness because the power of a witness comes from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8 once again. So the people who witness, every believer, the path of witness will entail suffering. And just before that makes you anxious, then see that you don't have to do this from your own power. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's not a mild-ish kind of power. It is literally an explosive power. It's something that changes everything inside and around it, right? The Greek word used there is dunamis, and that's where in English we get our word dynamite from, right? So it's just to help us to understand the explanation of power, something that can change, something that has an effect on its, on its surroundings. That's who we are. We receive that power, and we don't bear witness from our own power. That's why the theme of this Sunday is spirit-empowered witness. Uh, just a quick explanation here. Do you guys know that in Luke Acts, this one great volume, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 53 times? Take a guess how many times the book of Matthew mentions the Holy Spirit. Five times. Take a guess how many times the book of Mark mentions the Holy Spirit. Four times. Luke Acts mentions it 53 times. Times. Now think about this. After three years of intense ministry internship and training, and after a 40-day conference on the resurrection and the kingdom of God, right, that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended back to heaven, Luke says, you still need something else, right? Your three years of in-service training and your 40-day conference is not enough to be a faithful and a good witness. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So for you and I, my dear brother and sister, we have to operate from the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything apart from this power. So just think about that. Each and every one of us a witness. Each and every one on the uh, each and every one of us on this path that might bring suffering, inconvenience, even to the point of death. But we can do it because we've got the power of the Spirit. I do have time for a quick segue. Let me just segue left here. This is my left. Um, how do we know if we are operating from the spirit, have you ever, have you ever asked that question? Like, how do we know? I would like to put two things to us. The first one is there's boldness in our witness. There's zeal that comes from us. 
proclaiming the gospel. We saw that's how Paul ended his ministry at the end of the book. We see that's what Jesus says to his followers in the beginning of the book. You will receive this explosive power and you will take it forward with boldness. Secondly, we know that we are operating from the spirit if we magnify Jesus. That's what the spirit does. The spirit leads to a proclamation and to a life that's all about Jesus. That's why we as a church say that we are a gospel-centered church. We want to exalt Jesus. I think it was J.I. Packer that said the spirit of God is like a, a floodlight ministry. It shines the light on Jesus. So if you want to know if you're operating in the spirit, then it's those two things. You've got boldness in your witness, and it's all about Jesus. Fourth, the people in need of a witness in verse 8 is described as the nations, right? Now, we often look at Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and then we say Centurion, Gauteng, South Africa, right? And I'm not saying that thinking along geographical boundaries is the wrong thing, but we should think about the fact that the gospel crosses more than geographical boundaries and barriers in this story. It crosses ethnic boundaries or boundaries of ethnicity. It crosses religious boundaries. We'll see this happen in chapter two already, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. We should think big about the potential of this good news traveling. And we should see as it breaks these boundaries and it moves over these thresholds, how it brings new life to the world. So I spoke about every believer. I spoke about the path of suffering. I spoke about uh, the Holy Spirit giving us power. And I spoke about everyone hearing of this. Let me bring in Michael Green one last time. Uh, in a different book, he wrote Evangelism in the Early Church. Here's what he writes. But as early as Acts 8, we find that it is not the apostles, but the amateur missionaries, the men evicted from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution which followed Stephen's martyrdom, who took the gospel with them wherever they went. It was they who traveled along the coastal plain to Phoenicia, over the sea to Cyprus, or struck up north to Antioch. They were evangelists, just as much as any apostle was. Indeed, it was they who took the two revolutionary steps of preaching to Greeks who had no connection with Judaism and then launching the Gentile mission from Antioch. It was an unselfconscious effort. They were scattered from their base in Jerusalem and they went everywhere spreading the good news which had brought joy, release and a new life to themselves. This must often have been not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and wine shops on walks and around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. I love that formulation. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with a conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously and the movement spread notably among the lower classes. So if we take serious our mission, we will see this in our time, in this age, in this city where God has called us to, and in our lives as believers wherever we go. Lastly, the passion of a witness. The passion of a witness is Jesus Christ himself. And that's really, really, really important. If we want to have passion for the gospel and for our mission, for the ministry of Jesus, for the message of the gospel, then we ought to look at Jesus intently. We ought to 
turn our eyes to him. We ought to be enthralled by this notion and this fact and this belief and this hope that he will come back to us in the same way that he left us and that was in glory. This word that is being used in verse 11, why do you stand looking into the heaven? That word looking in the Greek or the, uh, the original language in, the, in which this was written is fascinating. It's, it's got multiple layers. It's, it's seeking. It's longing. It is gazing. It is staring. It is looking with emotion. The best way that I can describe it is when I say goodbye to my kids in the morning at school. I look at them and then I tell them I love them and I give them hugs and I send them off. And then as they turn with their backpacks on their backs, there's this moment that I, that I look. And what I experience while I look is actually the fact that I want them to come back because I'm going to miss them already because I realize how much I love them. And then they walk off. Sometimes they turn around, give me the last wave, and then they move. And I still look and I look and I look and I look. Why? Because I want Right? Because they are objects of my affection. We should have that passion for Jesus Christ if we want to be good witnesses. May we know the story of the gospel because this message continues. May we experience and love and proclaim and show the ministry of Jesus because the ministry of Jesus continues. May we take our mission as the church seriously. May we get acting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these powerful, powerful verses. Thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your words and your deeds. And thank you that you have given us the power to proclaim this and to show this. Thank you that you've called each and every one of us to be a witness. Thank you that we can follow along on this path of suffering because that's what you did for us. Thank you that you've given us the power that we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've sent us to people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can have a passion for you and that we can gaze at you. May this be true of our lives as individuals and of our lives as a church. May your name be glorified as we are spirit-empowered witnesses in this world. I pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.